0: I obviously edit this part out, but I don't do any other editing, just what I got here. Hi, this is Dr. Doreen Downing, and I am host of the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast. What I do here is to invite guests who have a story about not having had a voice in their life somewhere along the line. You know, some of them have come up with a, a specific time where they feel like they lost it. And others feel like it was just uh, coming into a certain kind of environment where they weren't acknowledged or welcomed into this world so that it was harder to feel like they had value. And part of, I think, finding our voices does have to do with value feeling like we are valuable to others and usually that is parents when it's when we start out but uh, it could happen anywhere along the line as we grow up is uh, getting people to witness acknowledge reflect back to us our our magnificence you might say and so today I get to meet a very new friend, and she's brand new to me, so she'll be brand new to everybody else here, Lorraine Siegel. Uh, hi, Lorraine. Hi, Doreen. I'm so happy to
1: meet you and to be here with you today.
0: I know. Both of us feel like we're excited and, enthused and willing to step into a conversation about finding your voice you sent me something a bio so I'd like to read that if that's okay so that people get a better sense of the journey we're about to take here and you said after surviving the 50s and 60s as well as 20 years in toxic academia as a tenured professor, Lorraine Siegel was inspired to start her own business, Conflict Remedy, and that's conflictremedy.com, happily teaching, coaching, blogging, and consulting around workplace conflict transformation. She is addicted to reading novels and enjoys walking and hiking in beautiful Northern California, where she lives with her wife. Her cartoon muse, Bookie, insisted that she write her new memoir, Angels and Earthworms, An Unexpected Journey to Joy, Love, and Miracles. (laughs) Oh, uh, hold it up just a little. For those who aren't uh, seeing this, what we've got is a beautiful cover that uh, Lorraine is showing us to her book. And uh, if we go to your website, I'm sure it's uh, conflictremedy.com. We'll get access to that. Thank you. Thank you, Lorraine. Oh, and you live in Northern California. I do. And so do I. Oh, cool it's a beautiful place yes it's sunny today it is and it's mid-december well here we go (laughs) so uh what i said is that in learning about you i always like to get a little sense of well did you grow up here what was the early family environment like for you just as a a way to start the exploration and um, if we could start there
1: Absolutely. And it's actually where I start my memoir. The first chapter is called Welcome to Downey, Future Unlimited. And Downey is a, a, a you know, sort of a bedroom community town in Southern California. And um, the sign was kind of a joke because it was just an exit off the Santa Ana freeway, you know, with strip malls and everything surrounded by other um, little communities with strip malls and, um That's where I lived my first 14 years. And then we moved to the San Fernando Valley. And I lived in Van Nuys um, for a number of years. And, um, you know, it's interesting to reflect on my childhood, because now I have the perspective of all the healing and the inner work that I've done since. I didn't understand any of this at the time. But my parents simply weren't able to give me what I needed to feel like a, a whole lovable person. And it wasn't out of malice. They didn't get that themselves and they didn't know how to give it to me. But I did grow up feeling like I was supposed to be perfect and I could never measure up. And one of the horrible ways that manifested for me was, um, my one of my siblings, my sibling became a workaholic, and instead, I got paralyzed. I felt so afraid that I wouldn't do things right that I would procrastinate and not get them done. And um, I, I, one of the ways I describe it is that if this is the planet and where everybody is, I felt like I had to struggle and work and prove myself just to be on the planet with everyone else. So it, it wasn't um it always felt to me like love was conditional. And I know it wasn't my parents' intention, but that's what I got.
0: Mm, thank you so much for. Uh, giving us a snapshot of, you know, it's kind of like a movie right now is I'm seeing, you know, Southern California, and I, I know that area. So I know what it's like to get off the freeway. And here's this little girl growing up, and it's surrounded by an environment. I liked what you said about not fully, what was it, ho- loved for being whole, you know, that, that wholeness of, of you. And yes, as little kids, we've got all parts of ourselves that need to be loved because that's how we love learn to love ourselves,
1: yes. right? The other part for me was that I was growing up in a very conserv- politically conservative Christian community and I was from a liberal Jewish family and I didn't look like the other kids. I, I My family didn't worship like the other kids and it really was an additional setup to feeling like an outcast.
0: Thank you. Yeah, an outlier. Uh, some, somebody who's on the, um, like, kind of marginal, I guess you might say, in that it was a real experience for you. It wasn't like uh, something imagined. It feels like, oh, yes, this is true. This is, in reality, people around you, you know, you were visible and people, I, I was going to say pointed at you, but I don't know if they, if you felt bullied or what was, what did you feel?
1: Uh, I Part of it was that they had so many stereotypes and so much prejudice against Jews. There was a lot of anti-Semitism, some unconscious. It wasn't so bad when I was really little, because little kids don't care about that stuff. Yes. But from the age of 10, 10 to um, 14, which is when I still lived there, they thought Jews were going to hell. They thought, some of them thought we had horns and they were very surprised I didn't have horns and a tail. I mean, it was that kind of um, uh, prejudice.
0: Mm, Yeah, you're right. That's exactly the word. Prejudice being, uh, I'm going to use the word but I'm not saying it's true, but a, it does seem like a victim of prejudice. Not that you have victim mentality, but just more like a a way to describe it. You know, the object of prejudice.
1: And uh, one of the sad things is that I didn't realize it was anti-Semitism until I was in my twenties and worked with a therapist who was also Jewish and had grown up in the South. And she said, "What you're describing that you experienced is anti-Semitism," and I said. Really? Because I thought it was just me. It was part of my lack of self-love that I thought there was something wrong with me. And that's why I was being treated the way I was.
0: Oh, my boy, you did take an inner journey, didn't you? <laughs> oh, yes, it still continues. But I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I all these years that that's to me, that's what life is about is the inner journey. And we, you know, even as um, we go through different stages of our lives, that um, there's always something new to learn. Uh, There was a book, uh, what was necessary losses. And uh, I don't know if you know the author, but it was about each stage being, a loss that we have to grieve, you know. Even like going from protected home, well, as protected as it can be, sometimes it isn't, to to the school environment, and then out of the school environment to, uh, you know, into teenage years, and then out of teenage years to young adulthood, and each, you know, I could go on. It's pretty clear, but each stage of life has a, um, and so we're still learning all the time, and. For those of us who love that inner inner work, inner journey, it's fascinating. And we get to be more and more and discover more and more. What a moment to have a therapist say, hey, that's anti Semitism. You
1: know, it's so interesting in what you're saying about the different cycles and the losses. I just a few days last week, I went to an, a wonderful workshop with a woman named Stella Orange and uh, Rebecca Liston on the hero's journey and how it applies to our businesses and our lives. And she talked about cycles that. And I so related to the concept of the heroes because that's what I wrote about in my memoir. That's how I see my life. That, you know, you're in stages, you're see- you go to seeking, you go to the dark night of the soul, the monster, the belly of the beast, you get magical tools, you find your way out and then you start again. Um, and I love that way of um, framing it because Actually, one of the editors I worked with wanted me to do a traditional structure for my memoir of, you know, it starts here, you go up to the climax and why everything. And I knew that mine was more huh. because it wasn't just one realization, one journey, one set of magical tools. It's
0: kept growing and um, and I like that actually. Yes. Oh, so uh, for those who are listening, who are listening and don't aren't seeing this, what you did was to put a circle. You, it was kind of like a spiral, I guess, that you said yeah. that. Uh, and it's actually, I had drawn a spiral,
1: and that spiral inspired my designer with the cover that we ended up with because it yes. is part of that idea of. Um, and my therapist, that same wonderful therapist, had said to me also. I I saw her for eight years. And at one point I said, haven't we done this already? You know, and she said, you're looking at the same material, but not from the same perspective. You're at a different point in the spiral. And it was very powerful, very powerful teaching for me to understand that. And it's a different way of looking at it as life work. Instead of feeling like I'm stuck with this stuff forever, it's like, oh, now I get to look at, this again and learn more and heal more
0: Ooh, i love that in fact i know that some of the people i work in my coaching programs and uh, psychotherapy say uh didn't didn't we already you know shouldn't i be through this but i like that idea that you know that frame hey it's a different point of view you're a different person now and there's more to explore and to uncover and maybe even heal uh, so that that mindset, I guess, is important. Yes.
1: And that's actually where the, the title of my book comes from, is that at one point I said to her, but Abhi, I didn't want to keep making mistakes. I wanted to be an angel of light. And she looked me right in the eye and said, then what would you do here on the planet with the rest of us earthworms?
0: Uh... are <laughs> angels and earthworms. Uh... Well, that's uh, now we know the 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 backstory to the book. Let's go. Let's return to this whole idea of voice and finding your voice. When you think about it, um, it sounds like there was you know, your journey through the growing up years and f- kind of starting adulthood as not fully aware of your inner strength and. Yeah. What about voice? When do what? How do you feel when we talk about when did voice show the idea of finding your voice show up?
1: Well, I've really been reflecting on that because of your podcast and thinking about you know what does that mean to me finding my voice because the truth is I've always been articulate. I've never really had a problem with public speaking. I love teaching. I love presenting. Um, It comes easily to me. I love telling stories, all of that. But the piece that I really resonate with about needing to find my voice is that I did not believe my voice had value. And I certainly didn't believe that anyone wanted to listen to it. And, um, I'm also a systems thinker. I'm someone who I'll grab things from all these different areas and see the connections and put them together. And a lot of people don't do that, and I didn't always know how to explain to people the connections that I saw.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, this whole idea then about, Finding your voice—it's different than some people that show up on my podcast who feel like they didn't have a voice. Um, But what you said when we very we started today—you know, coming out into a family where you didn't feel like you—we talked about it it didn't have value, (laughs) right? And so, what you're saying is, I feel okay about speaking but does it really have value? So in a way, there is a dot that I've just connected is what I feel like.
1: (laughs) Yes. And, you know, it's interesting having written this memoir. And I, uh, the goddess told me to let the memoir be what it wanted to be. And so I wrote it in kind of a semi-casual sort of folksy style. And in a way, I thought that it's not the only voice I use, you know, when I write... Articles about conflict transformation. I'm a little more formal, but I, I, people who've read it have said that they hear my voice when they're reading it. And I thought that was a real compliment because it didn't sound generic to people. It sounded like me. And that's the idea because it was about my life.
0: Again, for those who are. Just listening, uh, Lorraine has such a beautiful smile when she said that. It was just me. <laughs> you know, it's almost like we, <laughs> yay. <laughs>
1: my inner, my wonderful inner child. She says, me,
0: me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So keep on going about, okay, so it feels like what you're talking about voice and then the question of not having value. How did you confront that? And, um, I'm not sure you, we're always dissolving that. That, but uh, it was there some some story you, you have to say about that.
1: Um, there's so you know part of the thing about cycles is there's so much that's contributed to my journey, but one important piece. Let's see. I'll just I'm just going to say this and not talk about it a lot was feminism. You know, because part of my feeling like I didn't have a voice was about being a woman, a woman and women not being valued in society. And so finding that there were other strong women who were saying what we think matters, we hold up half the sky, you know, we, uh, um, the personal is political, all those things was very empowering. And then another really crucial piece for me was um, finding 12-step recovery programs. Because a lot of how I, my my first program in that was around relationships and codependency and people-pleasing and trying to control people. And um, working through the steps, which are very spiritual about that, um, Help me understand that I didn't have to be perfect, that we all make mistakes, that I could forgive myself and other people. I could honor who I was and learn to have a fuller, richer, more loving life. And there's a something I did write about this. I mean, my memory is about my life. So when I'm talking about my life, I can't help talking about it. But I when I was, there was this one moment I was in early recovery And I was leaving a meeting and walking down um, an avenue, Solano Avenue, which had restaurants and wine bars and things like that. And I saw this, um, a flower uh, torn out by the roots on the sidewalk. And I looked around and I saw there was a flower box on one of the restaurants and the restaurant was closed, I went into the wine bar next door and asked them if they could give me a glass of water or something. And he was, I was very emotional and the guy was kind and he rinsed out a wine bottle and put water in it. And I took the little flower and I put it back in its spot in the flower box where someone had torn it out and put some water with it. And I said to it, I want you to be okay. I want you to grow and flourish and lead a beautiful flower life. And I started crying because it wasn't about the flower. It was about me. And it was about me making that intention for myself that I didn't have to always feel bad about myself, that I could come from love and put out love and have a wonderful life.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, that voice that you just uh, expressed, you know. Have a wonderful life and grow. It feels like yes, you you were saying that to the object, the flower, to yourself, but it feels like what you do now with your book and uh, with your life and with your writings is to tell us that very same thing. And being with you today, I feel like uh, you you're I don't to say it, you're watering me by mm-hmm. your your sense of self that comes through, and to me, voice comes from that sense of self, the true self. and uh, your your story right there was, you know, kind of vulnerable, and you know you you showed a piece of yourself that was uh, pretty precious. And uh, I think that you know a lot of times people think that being that vulnerable or or that, um, of sense of intimate revelation it can be um, something you don't want to share. But thank you. Thank you for being such a deep, strong, vulnerable voice. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, you know, in my teaching,
1: when I taught English as a second language, in my teaching now, when I teach about um, conflict transformation, I very consciously and deliberately do something I call telling stories on myself, because if I'm willing to share the places I was vulnerable and that I made mistakes, it really is an invitation to my students and clients that there's it's a safe place to do the same. And um, I, you know, there's some things I don't choose to share, but a lot of things I feel like they make me stronger and they make others stronger to share.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And the image too sticks with us, you know, the Solano Avenue. By the way, that's where my office used to be. So <laughs>
1: how funny.
0: I gave and it up uh right at the beginning of COVID for uh, I, now, uh, three years now.
1: <laughs> and you asked me about what helped me find my voice. And I think the third piece of it, which partly came out of 12-step recovery, and partly from other work I did was finding the goddess. And I actually took a workshop, you know, in Berkeley and Oakland, you can take workshops about everything in channeling. And I began to do writing, you know, dialoguing with the goddess. And she is such a powerful presence in my life. And she says things that I wouldn't consciously be able to say to myself, um, the whole thing about writing the book—boy, did I have a voice that came in and said, "Who do you think you are to write a book? You don't have anything to say." You know that thing about voice really came up, and I—I I could ground myself in that God has told me to write this book. She didn't necessarily tell me to publish it and everything, but she definitely told me to write it, and she wanted me to put it out in the world. And that really helps me beyond my own voice feel like. I'm contributing to the good in the universe.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. And uh, I'm not sure what else uh, to ask you because I feel like I've been gifted by your presence and your stories and by what you're talking about that shows up in your memoir. How do people find you? Oh, well, thanks for asking that. Um, my website is
1: conflictremedy.com, and there is a book page that's all about the book. And um, on that page, you can sign up for the newsletter to find out about you know special offers, where I'm speaking, and also to get the forgiveness um affirmations or prayers, depending on what you want to call them. So if you sign up for the newsletter, I will immediately send those to you and um, there are ones that I've really used and I've used with my clients to to help me let go of resentments and grudges and bitterness, which also I feel like strengthens our voice if we can heal ourselves from those.
0: Yes. That's One of the things I've noticed as you talk about conflict, you you say conflict transformation. You don't say conflict resolution. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's
1: been its own journey. Um, when I started studying this, it was called conflict resolution. And then people started talking more about conflict management, because even if you don't always resolve it, you can manage it in a better way. And about a year ago, I heard someone use the term conflict transformation. I thought, that's me. That's it. <laughs> that's what I do. And because I, if you look at my website and what I say about conflict. I'm all about how can you open up the stories? How can you forgive yourself and others? How can you turn conflict into harmony and understanding? So I, I love the idea. And that's really how I work on it with my clients too. And what I teach is to absolutely transform it into um, something better.
0: Well, that sounds like a great last line, transforming into something better. Thank you so much, Lorraine, for visiting with me today. And it feels like the start of a really beautiful friendship. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Doreen. It's been wonderful.